All right, welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest this week is Tom Conklin. He is Senior Director of Security and Compliance at Vera Security. Uh, Tom, welcome to the show. What is Vera Security? What exactly do you guys do? Hi, Ryan. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. And um, yeah, Vera is a we're a security software company. Um, we are focused on data security, and we what we do is we provide um, a solution that lets companies protect and uh, encrypt and secure files wherever they travel. And so we're we're dynamic. We can. Um, update policies, update rights to files, um, no matter where they exist. Um, so we manage a cloud service uh, that provides this access management layer. Um, and then companies leverage us with their you know, file storage or email solution of choice. So it's a secure document management. Yep, uh, exactly. Is, yep. It, is it limited to email or documents everywhere? Really, any data. So we we started with um, our file solution, which supports um, you know your primary business productivity files. So Office Suite, um, the um, you know PDFs, um, you know audio video files, and and now design documents. And we've expanded to also support email, and we're you know we're doing some stuff in um, in other areas as well. So and really any data. That's the goal of the company. And your role at Vera, Senior Director of Security and Compliance, is, is uh, as I understand it, all-encompassing. It's, uh, uh, you're responsible for various security uh, and risk management programs internally, as, yes, well, exactly. as, as well as like, uh, uh, security of the product itself. And I wanted to talk about what is the thinking at your level for you know, how, how, how different are the two tasks uh, uh, securing the internal infrastructure uh, and separately securing the product itself. Yes, yeah, yeah, and that's that's a challenge, right? So you know, at a company like Vera, where we're we're not a you know large established company, we're you know we've been business about four years. We're growing very quickly. Um, resources are you know they're they're limited, right? We have to make decisions every day on what we focus on and and where the risks are, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of my job becomes you know risk management, and it it's this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is, and I think is a security industry, um, you know, we're, we're challenged with this fact that, you know, what, what we as professionals might think is the top risk um, doesn't always get the attention it deserves because we're also you know, required to meet certain compliance. We're required to, you know, jump on calls with certain customers that might be important for the business. Um, and that all detracts or, or really takes time away from, from things that we would like to be focused on, right? So, you know, I have to, uh, in my role, often take a step back and say, okay, what are the most important things? Sometimes this is, you know, Sunday afternoon, sitting down, writing out a list of things that we want to, I want to do in the next week with my team and say, okay, well, we might have to, um, you know, balance this right and it's it's a challenge because if you have a you know if you have an important customer um you're going to get on the you know get on the phone with their um their CISO and talk to them about you know how how our cryptography works right or you'll you know you'll work with marketing on different events um but that's hours you're not spending you know reviewing you know maybe reviewing a firewall um setting maybe you know testing the product working with our engineering team to train them right so it's it is um it is a challenge but you know, the way we look at it is, is we have a structured approach of um, the, this kind of falls on the compliance side is we look at um, our control set right? and we get audited against this and we make sure that we have a, a set of controls that that make sense for our our company and we make sure we're meeting that um, and we have to right this is we're audited every year against this and and this might you know, be um, something I do. This might be something that I, you know, I hire a third party pen test firm to do a pen test, um, and so we rely a lot on on that 
that standard. Um, and then, then, and you know, that has to happen, right? That has to get done. We, we have to do that for, you know, to, to A, secure our product and, and B, make sure that our, um, our customer commitments are met. Right. And then it's about how do we improve things, right? How, how in the weeds are you personally or, or in general, uh, directive security and compliance is actually, you know, tracking patch management, tracking and making sure high risk things that are, you know, potentially uh, introducing risk in, uh, yep. is in the wild. And how in the weeds are you with that stuff? Or are you more at a higher level focused on, you know, compliance and ISO standards and all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm pretty in the weeds. You know, I, you know, my day is probably 50% in the weeds. Um, and then, you know, another 50% everything else. Right. But it's, um, you know, it's, it's a lot still in the weeds. We run a, you know, we run a fairly small team. The, the security team is only a few folks. Um, you know, we're not some huge company. Um, but you know, we all do a little bit of everything. And, um, but yeah, it's one day it might be, Hey, I want to, you know, you know, chase down these, these issues. Um, I might just one day, you know, come in the office and say, I'm going to go review our VPC, um, you know, rules of our, our production account to make sure, you know, everything is good. Um, so I'm still doing a lot of that. Yep. And then, um, do you and find, then a lot of it's strategic as well. Mm-hmm. So. Do you find it's easier to sell security to top management to your CEO, get resources today than it was say four or five years ago? Um, I, I do think so. And I think, I think this is um, this is something that at least you know working in Silicon Valley and working um, you know not just at a security um, startup but at other companies I've been at you know we've always had the support of of the leadership team you know with security especially in the software as a service space is really viewed as as a core competency so it's up there with you know say um, you know you have to be able to um, if you're going to build a SaaS product, you need to be able to build a sales team that can, can that can sell and can scale, and and you can't do that um, without a strong security foundation. Like you're going to get pulled apart in in the deal process if you don't have that. So you know we get looked at um, from a security standpoint from really um, every angle. Right? We have um, our leadership team um, who is very involved with with the security program. Our CEO, you know, tells me. Um, you know, I sit right in front of him, my desk. He can look at my desk all day. He looks at my screen, and he um, he's always asking me, "How are we doing? What do you need?" Um, so this is I'm lucky in that, right? But then we, um, you know, it is a challenge too to, um, you know, to just because it's it is so core. It is you know you can't be good at just one thing, right? You have to be good um, across the board, and you need to be able to. Um, to build a team with people who who are good across the board and can can do the um, you know can do the risk management can also do you know understand and communicate to um, to customers and prospects um, and then can you know are still technically strong and that's those difficult to find those folks so that's right that's and, tough. and and you guys the security the director security the CISO can never have enough resources. I mean, you're always... There's uh, always more to do. Asking for more. There's always more to do, of course, yeah. and you're obviously also asking for more. I was just listening to, actually about an hour ago, listening to a Senate testimony hearing on uh, bug bounty programs at the Uber CISO, Katie Masouris, uh, the CEO for HackerOne. And the last question from the panelists from one of the senators were, uh, I think she was from Las Vegas, mentioning that there's, you know, thousands of small businesses um, 
and trying to figure out uh, improving their security posture and, and, and whether small businesses should be you know, participating in bug bounty programs or how, how, how do they go about uh, figuring out securing their infrastructure when you have no resources. Um, and and y- you guys are not necessarily a small business, but you're still small in the grand scheme of things. You're small yeah. by San Francisco, Silicon Valley standards. Exactly. Um, are, are you guys uh, currently running a bug bounty program? Is that a discussion that you're having? Can you help me, help me understand what goes into yeah. the thinking at a small company when you're trying to determine whether... You should go yep. the bug bounty route. You should com- complement it and combine it with whatever pen testing you might be doing. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, and this is you know bug bounties. There, this is a, a discussion we've talked about uh, in depth quite a bit at Vera, and so we you know we would love to do a bug bounty program at some point. Um, right now, um, we have not, and this is you know we we do have a, a new program. Um, it's when you when you announce a bug bounty program, you also um, it brings with it. You have to, what you have is to the care, risk? Help me understand what the risks are. Yeah, so you know, there's there's a risk that um, for me, you know, I'm thinking, you know, there's there's an external risk, right? There's a risk that someone um, you've now attracted more attention to yourself. Now, but you know, that the you, point. Well, it's the point, right? It's the point. But if you can't respond to those bugs quickly enough, if you can't fix them fast enough, um, you run a risk of um, you know, not just being exploited, but also your your engineering team. Absolutely, um, you have to make sure you're ready for it. Right? Yeah, you have to one of the experience I had, we we ran a bug bounty program at Kaspersky Lab just before yeah. I left, and I was involved in some of those discussions and some of the early results. What we found was, even though we were prepared and we had people on board, you were getting a lot of out of scope bugs that you still had to expend resources and figure out uh, yeah. addressing them, but they were not what you were what you were looking for and you still there are still security issues that you want to deal with and then unless you're properly prepared and you have done enough to you know ferret out those low-hanging fruit then you'll be bombarded the same thing things you're talking yep. about here yeah and and that's where i think you know i think companies should should really think through you know what is this um how you know what are some of the negatives that that this might bring um and weigh those against the positives right we we know the positives pretty well right it's having more eyes um you know more friendly eyes looking at uh, your product and and trying to poke holes at it um some of the negatives too are you know we, and we've seen this with incentive programs in say like um I forget which car company it is, but some of the large U.S. car companies had programs where you say if you could improve um, the, the the design of a the, the production process, you got a percentage of the savings the company got. And what what they found was over the course of years, you'd had engineers um, designing cars with known weaknesses, where the the linemen could do- say, "Hey, if we if we move this in a different way, or we install it a different fashion, and put this bolt on the other side, we can save some time and money." And it was a lot; it was millions of dollars. And so there's that's where your incentive program was was well intended, but you had collusion internally. And so bug bounty programs, you know, you, you want to make sure that you don't have, you know, hopefully you don't have unethical en- employees. But I think. It's only a matter of time till you'd find out, like, hey, there was an engineer that was slipping something in, or or used a known Leaving vulnerable library. Open, right? Yeah, and then they had a friend, and their friend, you know, called up, and they're they're getting they some kind of split. Um, and that's where you you have to make sure your code review is strong, your internal testing strong, because um, you've just created a whole new incentive that didn't exist before, um, and it actually made you weaker. Right, so, but when you're um, a small, it has to be well thought out. 
I completely agree. Yeah. There's a lot of cost transfer mechanisms that go into it that yeah. people aren't thinking through. A lot of companies are doing it for the PR value uh, exactly. to say they have a bug bounty program and not really thinking through all that stuff. However, there's a place for bug bounty programs. I'm not there is. not here to beat up on bug bounty programs. Exactly, but how exactly. do you how do you as you, you're a small company, um, yeah. small security team like you mentioned, uh, but at the same time you want to have external eyes uh, on your product, on your infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, how how do you what is what what goes through the process in your meetings and your thinking around uh, uh, around your spend as it relates to let, yeah. let me use external pen testers and what are the weaknesses there what are what are some of the holes there versus okay maybe I can crowdsource this with a bug bounty program help, yeah, help me understand and, what are some and, of those discussion points yeah and so you know some of our discussion points right we have um, you know. Co- you know, we 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 use third-party pen testers. We use external pen testers. We use a, a, we've actually used multiple different firms, um, and we have to. We have a um, we have a contractual commitment to, in a lot of our enterprise deals. I say we we will run a minimum of an annual third-party pen test, mm-hmm. um, and so that you know I can't I can't sit in the meeting and say, oh well, I think bug bounty program is is more bang for my buck for my program. I need to I'm going to go do that instead of a pen test. I I has to be a pen test now. Could you qualify it as a pen test? Uh, that's up for the attorneys to possibly debate, um, okay. but it's it's in our contract, right? So, so that's that we have to do that. Right? And then it's a matter of you know what's you know is there a is there you know do these programs have um, a scope and a way of looking at the risk that that we um, we would not have thought about or our third party pen testers would not have? Um, and we I think there is. Um, I think it's it's very valuable. Um, the there's kind of this hybrid approach where now you, you have these it's kind of like a, a private bug bounty or managed bug bounty that that a lot of companies are coming out with or um, these um, are you these limited to a specific set of resource uh, yeah. researchers and, and they're have. vetted right yeah yeah and that's kind of a good middle middle ground I think um, and and I think the 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 biggest um, you know the biggest companies out there they definitely I think every one of them should be running a bug bounty program because somebody is testing their products and they're going to be um, if if you don't offer money they're going to sell it to somebody who will um, so and these these vendors I think we've seen this a little bit in the uh, um, you know some of the very large established um, tech companies that you know there there is a bounty on them. Right by governments. No, um, it's, uh, Uber just appeared in this on, on this Senate hearing about some yep. of the, 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 the extortion slash hiccup they dealt with, uh, yep. trying to push a finding through a bug bounty program, and uh, that's a unique case. And it doesn't necessarily apply yeah. to to everyone, but it's important for listeners to understand, like thinking through all possible ramifications of what you use to help pinpoint. Uh, soft spots in your network or soft spots in your product is 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 not as straightforward as yep uh, people I, think it is and i think the the first step every company should have is they should have an internal bug bounty program right? they should have um you know even if you're not willing to open the, the floodgates up to external and unknown attackers have a um a program where you offer it to your employees um and say hey if you've you know run it run it internally first and see what they can find um and yeah these guys might not be the you know, experts in security, especially if you're in a small team. Um, but you know, maybe you offer something with your customers too, right? Um, and these are these are parties that are all aligned to wanting the the company to be successful. Um, and then be tactical in, in what you 
um, what you have um, tested. You know, we with uh, here at Vera, we're, we're um, our product is is interesting security product because we we encrypt these files, um, and then so there's an encryption piece. There's a there's a confidentiality piece um, to our security offering, um, but then we provide um, protection, right? A DLP type of protection to documents, um, and so there's um, there's that's more of an integrity kind of guarantee. Right. And um, so if we were to do a bug bounty program, it it would be very difficult for us to say everything would be covered. But what we really, the, you know, the, the core thing we really want to test is that confidentiality. And so we've, we've talked about when we do offer a bug bounty program, it would be focused on, you know, here's, here's a very protected file. It's out there in the public. You know, whether it is attacking our crypto and finding weaknesses in our crypto, whether it's attacking our, um, you know, our management, our servers, and being able to inject something that gave you access to it at a logic level. Um, you know, those are all things we want to be bulletproof on. Um, but narrowing that scope down to really that piece of the security posture um, and then expanding it from there makes it more manageable than, you know, just flooding, flooding, you know, any possible attack. You know, DDoS attacks, are those included, right? Um, can we, you know, are, are companies built for that, right? That's, that's a really, really high bar. And so you want to um, make sure you're, you've thought through these things. Right. So. And as a security company, you have a higher level of responsibility to secure your own product or secure Absolutely. your own infrastructure. And you know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I want to switch gears and to, to a little bit of a, a more boring topic, but uh, equally okay. important is uh, 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 employee awareness. Not necessarily employee awareness training, but uh, security awareness uh, internally, uh, getting users to understand what to click on and what not to click on helping the HR department who has to click on stuff that to get work done. They have to open PDFs of resumes, uh, identifying uh, potential risks coming into the organization. How much of a priority is that for for you? And how do you go about making sure your awareness training or security, whatever we want to call it, is is working? Yeah, that's... That's a great question. Um, I think, you know, for us, you know, we, we do annual security awareness training, like right? every company, right, that has uh, in the SaaS space. We right, have but to. How do you, how do you um, make sure people aren't zoning out and putting ice picks in yeah. their eyes because they're tired of looking at this dumb video again? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like it, it, it's a real issue. Insider threats, as we know, is, is, yep. a, is a real legitimate thing. And, and, and there's an argument that security awareness training has not worked and it's a complete yep. waste of money. That's what I was going to say. Is if you look at the stats, if you look at the studies that have been done, uh, is that this the training, the whether you know whatever it is, it's um, it's not effective. Um, you know, people will still click on um, phishing, um, and most of the times, you know, phishing can be um, you basically have a um, uh, an increase in um, phishing success if you target um, times when employees are busy or distracted, um, right? Because you're going after the human element. You're going after the um, the um, you know I wouldn't say laziness, but um, you know we have an incentive to get our jobs done. If it's quarter end and I'm a salesperson and I get something uh, that looks like it came from you know it's a contract supposed to be signed, I'm going to click on it. Um, and that's really really hard to train out. Um, so I think what you have to look at is you got to either look at a having some kind of technical control um, that that minimizes 
minimizes the potential exposure. You know, that could be some kind of sandboxing or, you know, proper patching or things where you can... Authentication. Like Two-factor authentication. Using the tools exactly. that are available, right? Yep. And that's something we've done, right? We've made sure every system we have has two-factor enabled. We've made sure that, um, you know, we're, you know, we're, you know, getting systems are patched. We use mostly um, SaaS applications. So, you know, we've, um, we, and we secure those with a, a identity provider, a single sign-on solution. And so we've tried to take the approach that, you know, users are going to, um, they're going to make mistakes um, and then, you know, protect, minimize as much the exposure. as possible. Take, take, take a lot can. of the, take, use the technology to take a lot of the uh, uh, risk taking out of their hands, but you, but you yep. still have to uh, educate you them. You still also. have to, you do, and that's where we don't stop there, right? We have to really, really create a a culture um, where where we try to make sure that security is top of mind, and you know this really starts with the leadership of the company. If you have um, if you have leaders of teams that just say, "I don't care, get it done," um, it's gonna um, people are gonna follow that. And so um, if you have leaders that say, hey, we, we get it done, but get it done right, um, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a much easier battle to fight. And so you know, what we've done is, and I have great support with, with the leadership team here. We've, we've done things where we, you know, well-intentioned plans come out where they say, hey, we want to go look at some you know, customer usage because we want to build a better product. Right? And, but then you know, we have um, privacy, we have um, you know, regulatory and contractual commitments that say we can't do certain things with the data of our customers. And so, you know, this stuff is, um, you know, they'll they'll pull security and they'll pull myself or somebody else on our team, and it'll say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. Can we do this? And and it's really about a collaborative way to say, well, we can't do it in this way, but here's here's things we can do to um, anonymize things. Um, here's how we can secure this system that you want to use. Um, we can't, you know, um, can't use this tool, but here's another tool, right? So, as security folks, you really need to. You know, I think the the technical control is great, but also create that that partnership um, with the business leaders and make sure that your your leaders of your company um, really live by this practice. Right? They're not you know not propping doors open. If you're it's not if, lip service, right? It's not lip service exactly. Yeah. One of, the, one, of the, one of the things I found in my previous experience with the uh, user education of employees is. Um, that the, the, the end user, who, the people in the organization are going to circumvent whatever policies you put in place to get work done. They'll, they'll find that your security control is either slowing them down, is stopping them from getting things done. It is, you know, I need to be on Facebook. The marketing department needs to be on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can't block Facebook usage. And there'll always be a way of circumventing your control. How do you as a security leader, uh, you know, not necessarily block it because you're not always going to be able to block it, but really, like you mentioned, make it a partnership where people understand uh, why these controls in play are in place and why circumventing it is is introducing significant risk. Like how how do we actually get that through to people? Because that was one of our biggest struggle. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's um, that's hard. I mean, it takes it takes a lot of time, right? And we're we're pulled in so many different directions. Um, I'm not gonna say it's easy to do that. There's there's ways now with you know a lot of the you know your um, you know there's a lot of tools to for IT available where you can detect what systems people are using. Um, so you can at least you know kind of discover these things, uh, and then it's a matter of um, properly protecting them, right? It's and you kind of have to you got 
take a risk-based approach. You need to say, you know, what are my what are my business applications or what applications are my employees using outside of IT's control that have um, sensitive data, have any kind of regulated data, right? Have any kind of personal information now under the GDPR. Um, if I'm working with you know EU citizens. Um, you know, is this data being stored on a Slack that's not managed by our company, and it right. or or is managed on Slack? And you got to go through that. Oh, and that's it's a whole. Take time. That's a whole not a podcast. GDPR and yeah. the implications for smaller <laughs> companies here is something that's just going to be so startlingly uh, exactly frightening moving forward. That I don't think I think the bigger companies have wrapped their heads around it yeah. because they have you know chief privacy lawyers and. Uh, tons of resources to deal with it, but smaller companies like yours, uh, I mean, we yeah. can podcast just about your preparations for GDPR and, uh, yeah, and not and have it's, answers. And it's, it's not till May, right? So we got a couple more months, but it's come up really fast. And But it's top of mind for you, right? It like is. Just making sure, it is top you know, you know where everything is stored, you know how data is in transit, your, you know, right to erase is in place yeah. and all that stuff. And that's where, you know, we, we, we're fortunate we have our own solution, right? And so this is, you know, by, you know, our approach has always been data is going to get out. Um, we need to um, kind of consolidate the, the protections from the, you know, it went from the network level um, before when you had corporate firewalls to the device level. And then MDM was the big, you know, solution. But then we have these cloud vendors, we have mobile, we have all sorts of ways to connect now. Um, so protecting just the device isn't good enough. We have to really protect the data uh, directly, and so that's that's Vera's kind of mission, right? We want to predict data wherever it goes. Um, the so it's great we can do that, but what do other companies do, right? So you know you got to think about you know are your security tools flexible enough and easy enough to use to either um, change behavior or um, protect where you, where you can't protect mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and it, the the number one thing is you know knowledge, right? You need to know how people are using these these tools. Um, you need to know what people are doing with your data, where it's going, um, and then from there you can um, you can take action to try to f- minimize risk. Uh, but yeah, it's it's not easy, and it's it's only seems to be getting harder, and there's only more regulations to track. Uh, so this is um, this is something that's a lot of companies just aren't used to. Right, and the thing with GDPR, it's it, it's it's a European thing, but it 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 by nature becomes uh, a U.S. regulation because all you not all yep. but you 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 can make an an educated guess that the majority of U.S. companies are processing data from European citizens anyway. Yep, and outside of that, even you know, there's there's regional and. U.S. level regulations that aren't aren't as stringent around personal information, but it's around other data types, right? The New York Department of Financial Services mm-hmm. has very strict requirements around data protection of um, you know uh, non-public information if you're a financial services company, um, and so this is um, you know we're seeing um, you know and we're seeing a lot of trends that are are leading towards um, um, these increased regulations. They're so not going to go away. Right, it's um, bre- breaches of both confidential corporate data and confidential or private personal information continue to be, be bigger, can p- continue to be more impacting, um, and so you know we're we're going to see regulators step in and try to change how companies operate, and it's. Um, Fortunately, we're seeing a lot of good uh, innovation in the security space. We're seeing you know, not not just our company, but you know, companies trying to take a um, uh, you know an approach that incorporates machine learning and 
and says, hey, we're just going to watch how these, your network's behaving and try to figure out what's going on. And um, I haven't tested a lot of these tools, but I have a lot of hope that if we can make a self-driving car that can recognize stop signs, we can make a, a system that can recognize when you have personal or confidential data um, you know, leaving your control and then protect it, right? So... Perfect segue to my last question. You've been in the security trenches for a long time. You talked about breaches. The sheer volume of breaches is just staggering. Uh, you can't open a security news site or even mainstream media and, and read about a new breach. Yep. Uh, you've been in the trenches for a long time. Operating systems have gotten a lot more hardened and secure. A lot of uh, uh, sandboxing, anti-exploit mitigations are in place on both Windows and Mac. Uh, the cloud companies are doing their thing. Everybody's building controls everywhere. Yet these breaches continue to happen at an alarming rate. What exactly is going on? I mean, wh- why, are we, why, are we st- why are we still dealing with massive breaches day after day after day when, uh, you know, as much as possible you're hearing that uh, our platforms have gotten harder and uh, harder to break. There are all these roadblocks in place. Yeah. What is this disconnect? Where is this real weak link? Yeah, and um, you know that's I have, I have my guesses, and I guess I'll talk about them. My my guess is that I think we're actually much better at security than we've been. Uh, I think that as as a whole, um, systems are more secure. But um, what's happened is we just have so many. Um, there's so many. Uh, more companies or there's so much more data collected um, that it's what we hear about in the news is it's 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 grown where it's um, before you know people were were um, you know going back 10 years were doing all sorts of you know hacks and breaches or just sniffing whatever was transmitted over the internet now we use you know TLS and it's basically you know pretty widely used well, I won't say it's everywhere but any business applications can use TLS um, it used to just be that banking was really the only company using that and it's just we, we've as we've hardened these areas um, we've stopped a lot of it um, but security it's a it's a asymmetric warfare kind of game right where um, you have you can defend perfectly every day um, for uh, for 10 years and then on the 11th year uh, or the, the whatever day it's um, you have a breach you have a massive breach you have some kind of you know you know level of equinox level breach and and that's um, you know that's just it's just a numbers game it's a matter of time till companies can have a breach and because data sets have gotten so big and networks have gotten so fast um, these complicated are going to get bigger. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, what can we do about it? I think we got to continue to, um, you know, the good companies, the companies that um, that you know are going to stay out of the headlines. Um, they're going to take approaches to, um, you know, pre- you know, protect to the next level, right? They're going to look at not just, um, you know, what do I need to do to comply with, um, you know, the regulation, but actually. Uh, Think of what makes sense for my business, and how can I how can I use these um, these tools to um, not just get security, but also make my company um, you know more productive or more efficient. Yeah, uh, I so don't remember. Who, I don't remember who coined this years ago. Someone told me the most expensive breach is the one that hasn't happened because you've spent so much money on just protecting yourself and containing it, and. Uh, you know, it's the same point you're making. The, yep. the, the quote-unquote good companies uh, that that do it right and 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 stay out of the headlines are spending a, a ton of money on on making yep. that happen. 
Yeah, and that might not be worth it for every company, you know. And that, that's the that's that's the that's, that's the risk management discussion, right? This, yeah, how, that's much, the, how much risk do you want to tolerate? And that's the sad truth. And I think you know companies, you know, there's a few steps they can take that don't cost a lot of money. I think one is if you um, you know if you don't need the data, don't store it, right? If you don't have it to to be leaked, um, that's that minimizes your risk. Uh, but it's um, um, we're just not trained well, and I think this is, you know, we, this, you can talk about the, the evolutionary pressure of, of humans, but we're not trained well to evaluate risk. Uh, and, you know, we have, I have discussions a lot with my team, and they say, well, hey, if I have, you know, I say we, we can't keep logs past X number of day, right? We don't want to have these logs that long because it's just a bunch of data we don't want to have to maintain and keep. And um, they're like, well, hey, we had this issue last month where we had to go back, you know, 90 days and look up, uh, you know, some event with a customer. And it's like the customer couldn't log in. And it's like, well, it's, it's 90 days old, right? What's, couldn't you just tell the customer to up, update and then log in again? And like, oh, but we couldn't figure out the, the source of the problem. So it's like, well, is that, is that, we're, we're giving up this, this little, you know, window right window or this ability to help one specific customer one specific use case we want to be able to do that at the expense of having all this more data right and that's that's the hard um you know hard problem or the equation we got to figure out which is what's the what's the it's impossible to make a right decision what's the decision yeah yeah Yeah. all right so Thank you, thank you very much. Um, I think we've hit the 33-minute mark, which is like the sweet spot for U.S. commuters uh, listening to podcast. Perfect. Well, thank you for having me on the show, and um, it was a great discussion. Thanks a lot.